0: rightly dividing the word of truth the second part of second timothy chapter 2 verse 15 which we began last week we continue with that the serpent in the garden the beginning he did something that remained with mankind since the beginning what he did was he took the word of god and he twisted it notice we're still doing the same thing man is still doing the same thing we take the word of god and we twist it and when you twist the truth it becomes lies That's what the serpent did in the beginning and that's what Jesus Christ undo when he was born. He came to undo what the devil did and that was to restore the truth so that we can now have the truth, believe in the truth and it opens up our mind to wisdom and now we can know God for certainty. The reason for Adam and Eve fall or got kicked out of the Garden of Eden was because they believe a lie and for us to be restored to the position that God wants us to be, we must believe in the truth. And what is the truth? The truth is the Lord Jesus Christ. The truth is the incarnate word of God. That is the truth. The truth is not some ideology. The truth is not some text on a page. The truth is a person. This word will tell you what the truth is, but it is not the truth. The truth is revealed only when the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, Bring this word to life through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ in you. We cannot have the truth without the Son of God. Anyone who holds this Bible, says that they have the truth is a liar. This book does not give you the truth. This book points to the truth and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. You must have the truth in you. You must have the Lord Jesus Christ in you and the Holy Spirit will work in you. Now, without this book, you don't know what the truth is. You see, because we are human and we human, we need to be taught. And if the Spirit speaks to us in the spiritual language, we won't understand. We need a way for the Spirit to communicate with us and that is the Bible. The Holy Spirit we speak in a language that you and I we understand and through that understanding we come to know the truth. Does that make sense? Rightly dividing the word of truth. The word rightly here means to do it righteously. The word dividing here does not mean take the sword and cut it. It is a mathematical word. It means to divide it Down the middle, precisely. So your job, our job, what Paul is telling Timothy is, you need to know this, and you need to know this word exactly the way that the Holy Spirit wants you to know so that you can disseminate this word. What does the word disseminate mean? To present it to people. And if you want to present something to people, you should know the material. And you and I, we need to study it. Because we don't want to be liars with the word of God because we'll be responsible for it. There are three things that the Christian is responsible for in dividing the word of God. Number one, we need to examine the source material. Everything you hear, even today, when you hear me, you need to take, don't just nod your head when I say something. You need to know whether or not what I'm saying is biblical. Just don't take what I say or anyone you respect or anyone you don't respect and you shake your head because you don't respect them. Examine everything you hear. Number two, test it. Test the hypothesis. When someone is saying something, make sure it is, we need to be able to test everything we see. Because otherwise, how would you know? The word said, taste and see that the Lord is good. God said, taste, come, check it out. And lastly, we need to scrutinize. Look at a very critical eye. Your mind, your heart, your understanding of what you see. You see, we human, are full of biases. Just like I said earlier. Daniel says, 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 15. What did I hear and what did most of us hear? 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 15. We are filled with biases. Let me explain to you why. Your brain is very cunning. It wants to take the shortest path between two points. So if it senses that something is familiar, it says, okay, it's the same look at these gentlemen over here, the one in the black and the one in the pink over there. You said, they're the same. Ethan, Andrew, they're the same. But they're not the same. They're two different individuals even though they're twins. But our brains, the reason why we can't tell them apart because our brain wants to make them the same because it's easier, less energy for us to expense. You have to look, okay, that's Ethan. Why don't you just, you know, one of you just leave your hair long, then one leave short so that, you know, our brain doesn't have to work that hard. We want to take the shortest path and that becomes a problem for us to recognize what is true and what is not true. Let's look at examination, Acts chapter 17, verse 11. After he came from Thessalonica, he came to Berea, and this is his conclusion after he preached at Berea. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. These were Christians listening to the great Apostle Paul. If I am in the presence of the Apostle Paul, I would be nodding my head. They listen with the readiness of mind. Is your mind today ready? Now, whether or not you agree with everything I say or not, this is your responsibility. You need to listen to this with a mind ready. And then what did they do? And search the scriptures. I printed the scripture on here. The purpose is so that you can go home and then you can examine whether or not the things that I told you is true or not. This is your responsibility. We have the responsibility to guard this knowledge. The people who came before me, they did their job. They handed this down to me. And now it is my responsibility to faithfully give it to you. And it's your responsibility to faithfully, you have been entrusted with this, to guard this truth. And it's your responsibility and my responsibility to make sure that this does not get corrupted as we transmit it to the next generation. This is a great responsibility that you have. Therefore, you must rightly divide the word of God. You cannot, you, we cannot mix our own cultural belief and whatever it is that is the popular belief now into the scripture. It has to be pure and maintained as purity as it did when Jesus Christ handed it to the disciples. The source of truth is the Bible. And the source of truth is the Bible, which is the gateway for us to understand the truth. But the source of truth is the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a man. The Lord Jesus Christ is the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. The Lord Jesus Christ is the truth. We might not understand the truth, but we know the man. We know the truth. And in our knowledge of who he is, what he did, what he taught, we come to know the truth as it is being taught to us. Now, let me explain to you this. We can never have the truth. Knowledge is something that we use It's not something that we have. Adam and Eve, in the garden, there was a tree. And that tree was called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They think by taking the fruit from that tree of knowledge and eat it, they have knowledge. Did they have knowledge after they eat it? Knowledge is not something that we can possess. Knowledge is connected with God and to God. We cannot separate knowledge from God. Because once they take the fruit from the tree, what they're saying is that we want to own the source of knowledge. And God says, you take that fruit from that tree, you don't have knowledge because that tree only is the knowledge tree is because it's connected to me. We cannot have knowledge apart from God. We must be connected to God. So there is no knowledge in this Bible without the Lord Jesus Christ. We must be connected to the Lord Jesus Christ and the Bible. The word here is how we communicate with the truth. Secondly, The truth created everything that we have seen and the truth became the word. The second person in the Trinity became incarnate and he became the word. Before this Bible was written, what was there? It's called the Old Testament or in the Bible, it's called the scripture. And what does the scripture was meant to do? John chapter five, verse 39, search the scriptures. This Old Testament, search it, your scripture, your Bible, search it. For in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. The whole Bible before the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ talked about that person. It points to the person. The whole Bible is not the truth. The whole Bible points to the truth. When Jesus Christ came and became incarnate, the truth of the word of God became life in the flesh. And the Bible points to that person. Men read it, we didn't understand it. Jesus walked with the two friends on Emmaus, to Emmaus, and he expounded the scripture, meaning he explained the scripture to them. It was all about the Lord Jesus Christ. Didn't understand. We need Jesus Christ to become incarnate in the flesh to explain to us what this means, And that's how we have the New Testament. That's how the New Testament came to be. The New Testament is the explanation of the Old Testament which is in turn points to the Lord Jesus Christ. So the New Testament, in Luke chapter 1, verse 3, in the beginning, in his introduction to the letter to Theophilus, and he said, we, the people who were with Jesus Christ were, what did he say? Eyewitnesses. We were there with the Lord Jesus. We sat there with him, we ate with him, we drank the cup with him. We were eyewitnesses. And then this is what he says, we were given the responsibility of ministering the word. We were ministers of the word. So they heard what Jesus says, they saw what he did, they listened to his teachings, even though a lot of them didn't understand, but it's okay. You don't have to understand everything, but you do need to understand something. And then what did he do? What did Luke do? He carefully wrote everything down, the way he saw, witnessed and understood. So that today we have a pure copy of everything that happened during the time of Jesus. Imagine if the disciples thought, hey, it would be nice for me to insert some of my own thought in here. It would be nice to embellish some of these things. Let me compare, hey Mark, can I can I borrow your copy, what you wrote? Let me compare to make sure what I write here matches what you write. W- would we believe in, in the text that we have now today if they did that? No, they were faithful witnesses, eyewitnesses of the Lord and they wrote it down even though they didn't understand is our responsibility to continue that tradition. We must be faithful eyewitnesses to transmit this word when it leaves us. It should not mix in with our own thoughts, our own interpretations of all these things. We must transmit this word faithfully. Secondly, we are called to investigate, just like the Bereans. They investigated the word. They did not just let their hearing be sufficient, but they searched the scripture day and night. Something that a lot of Christians today are not due. Number one, the word of God is not being preached, so what are you going to search? Number two, if it is being preached, we content just to take it as it is. You need to own it. You need to be responsible for what you hear because you will be judged according to everything that you have heard. Every letter, every punctuation, every jot of the law, we are responsible for. Now, let's go into the testing phase. The truth test. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8. For we can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. The apostle Paul says, the truth does not need to be afraid. Because the truth in the end, it will show itself to be right. There's nothing the truth needs to be afraid of. That is why when people put Jesus on the stand, did he answer? He doesn't have to say anything. He was the truth. And Pilate says, Aren't you going to say anything in your defense? The Apostle Paul says, he doesn't have to say anything. Here's the truth. The truth has nothing to be afraid of. For us to know something that is the truth, we need to test it. Because the truth will remain, all lies will be burned up. You know how they test gold? You blast it with a very high intensity energy source. The way for you to test whether something that is gold is you break it into its elementary parts. By blasting it with X-rays, the electrons get energized and it jumps into the higher orbit. And then when it comes down, it releases the phase and you test that phase and you know whether or not that element is gold. To test the truth, we must put energy into it. A lot of energy into it. We must spend more energy than your brain wants to. So for you and I to test the truth, we need time. We live in a society where everything is convenient and easy. And we've been taught to be lazy. If it's too difficult, you know what? Somebody invented some machine that would do it for us. Your brain expends more energy than you think. 30 percent of your energy expenditure comes from your brain. And we need to spend that energy to search the scripture. That is the truth test. You search the scripture because the scripture will prove itself. So we need to take what you've heard and apply it to the principle of testing it against the scripture. Is it scriptural? When I say money is the root of all evil, you would say, well, that's not scriptural. It is the love of money is the root of all evil. The Bible will tell you certain things, but there are certain things that requires more energy, more time, more commitment. And those are the things that advances the church into the next phase. Okay. The biblical test. Isaiah 34 verse 16. Seek ye out the book of the Lord and read. <laughs> Believe it or not, the Bible tells you to read the Bible. And Isaiah is telling you and I today, go find that Bible and read it. This is the word of God. Read the Bible because that is the foundation for all truth. If you don't have the Bible, that song that we sung, that's the power that is in me is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. Where is that in the Bible? I sung that song many times. Where is that in the Bible? He that raised Jesus up from the dead will also raise you from the dead by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Romans 8. I might run across that when I read the Bible. I say, oh, that's song. No, I don't. Yeah, we don't remember. But if you remember the Word of God, if the Word of God is already a part of your, of your being, when you see something like that, you relate to it, you connect to it. That's why memorization of the Bible is so important. So that we can see something and we know whether or not something is true or not. Because we forget and we get lazy. and We don't want to check whether or not things that we read, hear, even sing is scriptural. We are driven by our instincts and our feelings a lot of times. How do you know something is true? Because it feels right. Most of us operate that way. It just feels right. How do you know? Well, it just feels right. How do you know that girl is right for you? Well, it feels right. For now, until you get married. It doesn't feel right anymore. I went out. Feeling he that trusted in his own heart is a? Oh, yes he that trusted in his own heart. Don't trust in your own heart. Don't say, I feel it's my instinct, I just know it. How many times is your instinct to say, "Go, that is the right road and you went down that road and you get lost. Don't trust your instinct. Don't trust your feelings. Don't trust tradition. It's because we've done this many times in the past. It must be right and then it isn't right anymore. Don't trust your instinct, feelings, traditions, customs. Trust the word of God. That has not changed. We change. Today I wake up, and I want something really sweet, to go with my coffee. Tomorrow I wake up and I feel sick, I don't want to eat anything anymore. Feelings, don't trust it, we are fickle. Do the doctrinal test, that is the hardest part. It's easy to do a biblical test, whether or not it's in the Bible, you just do a word search, if it's not there, it's not there. A doctrinal test is different, it requires much more energy. When you want to know whether or not the original sin is correct or incorrect, there is a mountain of books that you should investigate. Are you interested? Is this something that you need to do? Something as easy as baptism doctrine. How much research do you spend to teach that? Not easy. You need to spend a lot of time and effort into something as simple as what is baptism? Is that thing that you have heard exalt the Lord Jesus Christ or not? If it doesn't, you can just simply cross it out. Not true. Number two, Does it glorify God? Does the thing that you're about to do glorifies God? If it's not, it did not pass the doctrinal test. Number three, does it contradict biblical teaching? If it does, cross it out. Logical test. Let me walk with you through something that I hear parents say a lot, teachers say a lot. God punishes me because I'm a sinner. You hear parents say, if you do that, God's going to punish you. You don't listen to me, God's going to punish you. You don't do your homework, God's going to punish you. Why? Because you don't do your homework. Because God's angry God. Here you have a Bible. We're going to walk through and figure out whether or not this statement is true. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of Lord Jesus Christ. Go back to the question. God punishes me because I'm a sinner. First question asked is, are you a sinner? Are you a sinner? Martin Luther says this. This is something that you should just remember, and this is what he said. We are both sinner and saint. We are saint because Jesus Christ declared that we are righteous. Imputation of righteousness. We are sinner because we still do sin. That does not make us a sinner before God in terms of the court of justice of God, because we are righteous because Jesus Christ declared us as righteous. Do you think that you are a sinner? Now, if you cannot answer this question, or if this question is an affirmative, the answer to this question is an affirmative, then we need to have a talk, because you need to get yourself safe. Those who are baptized, have been baptized, have made this declaration. Remember when you were in the water, what did I ask you? Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Yes. So now, because you answered that in affirmative, you are now saved. How do you know that? Because you believe. The Word of God says those who believe in Jesus Christ will be saved. And because you believe, you are saved. That's it. Do you feel that way? Sometimes, sometimes not. It doesn't matter. It's what the Word of God says and whether or not you believe it. God will punish the world for its sin. Isaiah 13, 11 says, I will punish the world for their evil and the wicked for their iniquity. So God says he will punish the world. My question to you is, are you right now in God's wrath? How is it that you are in God's wrath? What is God's wrath? What do you think God's wrath is? You're not in God's wrath. You know why? Because you're sitting in this church and you're listening to me right now. You're not in God's wrath. I will tell you, some people who are not listening to the word of God right now may be in danger of God's wrath. But no one's in God's wrath yet. You don't know what God's wrath is yet. Let's turn with me to 1 Thessalonians, and we we explore this concept so that you have an understanding of how to look at the scripture and decipher whether or not it passes the logic test, the biblical logic test. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8. In flaming fire, God would take vengeance on those who are unbelievers, who does not trust and obey the the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, The other question I want to ask you, are you obeying the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you obeying the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Let me warn you then. This might be the future for those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are a sinner, then God will punish you. But he has not done this yet. This is not happening yet. Do we agree with that? Because if God punishes the sinners right now, we would know. There's nothing, you will see and behold the wrath of God on this, in this world. You're not in God's punishment right now. And you don't want to be. God will take vengeance. Examine the text and you will see. And he says that in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. What we still have today is we still have time. This is talking about the future. Paul is encouraging the Christians who are under persecution. God does not discount your persecution. He knows your persecution. You're being persecuted and He will avenge you. It's not happening right now. Second, consider the context and time seeing it is the righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. He's saying if you are being persecuted because you preach the gospel, be assured that your persecution, those that persecute you, God will take notice and God will repay them. Let me ask you the question, are you the persecuted or are you the persecutor? Friend that goes around and talk about Jesus Christ. Do you unfriend them on Facebook? because they keep talking about Jesus Christ and it's embarrassing to you? Are you the persecuted or are you the persecutor? What about in the family? You want to pray and your wife doesn't want to. Make it really hard for you. Or your parents want to pray and you as kids are dragging your feet, making it very difficult for them to have a family prayer night. Are you the persecutor or are you the persecuted? Consider the context. God will recompense those who persecute Christians in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says that those who are sinners will have the just condemnation. Time. This is something that will happen in the future when Christ comes back. This passage is talking about in the future, not right now. What is the will of God? We must ask in all situations, what is the will of God? You know from memory that God is love. And you know in John three sixteen it says, Well, God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish and have everlasting life. We know that by heart. When you ask the question, what is the will of God? You will say, God wants us to be saved, Christian. He wants us to be saved through Jesus Christ. So that is the will of God. And here, the Apostle Peter will say it more clearly in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord not willing that any should perish. This is the will of God. He doesn't want you to die. He doesn't want sinners to get incinerated. He doesn't want people to get destroyed. He wants sinners to be saved. This is the way of God, but that all should come to repentance. He wants us to repent. There are two things that we know. There is hope and there's faith because there's time. You have with you right now, time. There exists a place in the universe where there's no time, but you are on earth right now, you have time. And when you have time, there's hope. What is hope? When I read the Bible, the statement that Peter says to the Lord not willing that any should perish. What I'm saying is that I hope that everyone will be saved. I hope that the salvation will come to every single person on this earth. Your enemy that you hate. Your father that you hate. All hope. The hope comes in when we hope for the salvation of those people. What is faith then? Faith simply is this, believing what the Lord Jesus Christ says. That's faith. So we have those two things and we know that we have time. So therefore, this statement, God punishes me because I'm a sinner, is false. Because you're still alive. You're still listening to this. There's still time. You have the scripture to tell you that God loves you and he wants you to repent and be saved. And according to scripture, you have the hope in Jesus Christ because he does not want you to perish. He wants you to be saved. And now, do you believe? Do you have faith in the word of God? And if you do, then this statement is false. The cost of knowing the truth, Proverbs chapter 23, verse 23. It's a great verse. Buy the truth and sell it not. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding. The wisest king told us to buy the truth and don't sell it. What you have in your hand, what you have today in this place, it's the most valuable thing that human can have. It's the word of God. Now, what he's not saying is buy this Bible. book. if you don't have one, buy the Bible. Spend everything that you have to know what's written in here. Because this is the beginning of all wisdom, all knowledge, and all understanding. If you want knowledge, if you want wisdom, it's going to cost you. But if you want to be a fool, it won't cost you anything. Wisdom is expensive. But foolishness is free. Solomon, he asked for wisdom. Yes, wisdom comes to us for free. That's a great question. Wisdom comes to us for free because there's nothing that we can do to make wisdom. We can't. Solomon cannot make wisdom within himself. God has to give it to him you can ask wisdom the way that you ask wisdom is going through his word and praying. And then God will grant you wisdom. When you look at a math problem, is there a solution? Some math problems have solutions. Some math problems, they'll stump mathematicians. Maybe it's a wrong equation, who knows? But all valid math problems have solutions. The solution is wisdom. You know the equation E equals MC squared. You know what it means? How do you apply it? Wisdom comes when we know how to apply things. We might have the knowledge. We might understand how it works. But wisdom is when you can understand it. Mass and energy is the same thing. Now you can use that to understand why I put this on the table and I need to use what? Force. Because mass is energy. Because I need to expend energy to push something that's heavy. I need to spend, I need to spend more energy to push something that's heavy or And mass and energy is the same thing. That's the great discovery. Wisdom comes from God. Does that equation exist before it became an equation for you and I to understand? It existed before the equation was there. God just endowed a scientist with the wisdom to explain it. But that concept was there since the beginning. Everything came from God. It wasn't because he wrote that equation and then somehow that became physics. No. It's not. It was there before that equation existed. We just didn't understand it. Now God gave us the understanding that wisdom comes from God. If you want to know how much it cost to know the truth, the cost of knowing the truth is your honesty. When you know something that's true, then it must be something that came before that, that you know is a lie. When you discover the truth, the thing that was there before, you know the truth was a lie, was false, was wrong. For a person to know something that is true, And to receive something that's true, has to have the honesty to say that, I was wrong. Humility. And we need to have the humility. When we read something in the scripture and it says something that is opposite of what we used to believe, we have to have the honesty to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Now I see the truth, now I embrace the truth, and I accept the truth. If you can't do that, then we cannot go anywhere. You are not willing to pay for the cost of knowing the truth. 1st Peter chapter 1 verse 22 says, Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit. The truth, the word of God reveals to you that something that's true. You and I, we need to let go of the things that's false. Have you ever been in an argument with someone and then you realize that you're wrong and you realize that they're right? What do you do? Unfortunately, we've been taught to not accept that we are wrong because it's shameful. When we see something that's true, we need to say, "I'm wrong. I'm sorry. Admit that you're wrong." Unfortunately, some people their whole life is other people's fault. Never mind my fault. Been proven beyond a reasonable doubt that they're wrong. They says, "Because I was made to do it." Isaiah fifty-five verse one, the cause. Oh, everyone that thirsts, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, yea, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. The cost of knowledge is negation. There's nothing that God has that you can use anything that you have to buy. He gives you for free but requires you to come to God. And how do you come to God? By faith. And what is faith? Faith is negating everything that you hold to be right. The price of knowledge is self-negation. To know the truth, you must first deny yourself. All of your preconceived notions Uh, But truth is, once you know Jesus, then you need to abandon everything else. The requirement for following Christ is what? Deny yourself. He said, deny yourself, sell all you have and follow me. Negation is the first step to knowledge. And lastly, reduction. You want to know how much it costs to know the truth, then you must be willing to reduce. It's the famous quotation from the last prophet of the Old Testament. John the Baptist says, he must increase but I must decrease. The word here, that's in John chapter 3, verse 30. The central word here is the word following the semicolon. But, this is the important word that you should focus on. He must increase, semicolon, and then this word. But, I must decrease for Christ to be increased. Now, there's nothing that you and I can do to make Christ not glorious or less glorious. There's nothing that we can do. But for the truth for Christ to be increased in our lives, the precondition is I must decrease, but I must decrease for Christ to be increased. It's fascinating that the apostle John wrote this verse this way. What he could have said is I must decrease for him to be increased. He could have wrote that, but he didn't. What's most important, Christ must increase. Jesus Christ must increase. And for this to happen, I must decrease. The law of reduction. You can't have when you're already full. We must empty ourselves so that Christ can be increased. Our lives is filled with junk. Until the Son of God comes, the first thing we need to do is throw out the junk. Empty ourselves, decrease. And it begins with your mind. It doesn't begin with the stuff that's in your house. It begins with the stuff inside our head. And we must decrease to the point where we're empty. And Jesus Christ can begin to fill you with wisdom and knowledge. Let's come to the Lord in prayer. The word that guides and leads and causes to greater knowledge and understanding of who you are. And Lord, you have called each one of us. You have set us into the places where we are to shine, to be a beacon of light, and to explain, convey the truth to those who are around us. So that they would come to know who you are, the truth the Lord Jesus Christ. The incarnate word of God. Help each one of us. Would you give us the unction? Give us the audacity. Give us the, the moxie to declare the truth with everyone we see in our daily lives so that you would be glorified through our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.